Thank you, Darren. Book of Job. Now, I I called this the study of the God of Job. And um, let me go ahead and take you to a verse. I know we're going to be in Job here in a moment. Um, But I need you to go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Finish this statement while you're turning there. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Uh, I am the God of thy father Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Okay, now I want to show you another one. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of who? Of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the God of Abraham. We have the God of Isaac. We have the God of Jacob. Are they different gods? No. We have the God of Moses. We have the God of Daniel. We have the God of, of, uh, uh, of uh, Elijah. We have the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's all the same God. So when I talk about the God of Job, I want you to understand, we're trying to understand God through the experience that Job had. Because your experience is not about you. Can we nod our head and realize that? Oh, okay. There's more going on than just your and my head-banging struggle with life There is a spiritual battle going on, and there is a need for me to have a good, proper view of God so that I get through it, and so that others see Jesus in my trial. So, um, Job, go back to Job chapter 1 and verse 21. Stand with me, and we'll just read two verses, and then I'll talk to you a couple of things here, and we'll be finished. I love this study. I have pages and pages of stuff. Uh, it really, I, I have studied the book of Job looking and learning from Job. But I'm looking at Job now learning about God. So I hope that it blows you away. Job chapter 1, read aloud with me verse 20 and 21. Begin. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came out of my mother's womb. And naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're trying to do a lot tonight, and I know people are tired, but I'm so glad, I'm so glad, Lord, for the people of God. I'm glad for people who make the effort, and I pray that you would bless them for it. I pray that we would get a blessing tonight from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. All right, we've gone back 2,000 years before Jesus, which puts it at 4,000 years ago almost, at a time when all hell breaks loose in the life of Job. It's not a good day for Job. It all happened in the land of Uz, which was over just to the east of modern-day Israel. What was Israel on that day? And um, uh, the entire book of Job is about his <clears throat> the testing of his understanding of God. Now, what's unique is he has three friends, and he has three friends who have a very different view of God. They had a prosperity gospel in view. They thought that God blesses righteousness, and God only curses wickedness. So if Job has having bad things going on, what did they accuse him of? Of being wicked. God doesn't 
bring trouble into a good man's life. So they had a wrong view of God. And that hurt Job because Job said, I don't believe that. But I don't like the fact that God does things like this. I wish I could talk to him. I wish I could understand him more. So we're going to try to understand it. Um, so I believe it is, is, is easily one of the greatest masterpieces of, of world literature of all time. Uh, because it tells us what God is like. I know what I'm like. And I can read and find out what Job is like. And I believe Job is a better man. Job is one incredible man. His wife falls out. His friends are messed up. Nobody wants anything to do with Job. But Job's a better man because he says, I'm going to bless God. I'm going to worship him anyway. But that's not the focus of the book of Job. The focus is to teach me what God is like. So, in chapter 1, I told you, we, 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 we learned about Job and his family. Uh, it switches to a scene in heaven where Satan comes up and God says, where you been, uh, Satan? Satan says, I've been everywhere. And the Lord says, well, if you've been everywhere, have you seen my servant Job? And um, uh, Satan mocks and says, oh, Job is only, he's only being good because you don't, you don't, you don't let, you don't drug, you don't uh, trouble him. You don't do anything bad to him. And the Lord says, go for it. Do whatever you need to do. Just don't take his life. And boy, the devil says, great, I'm going to humble Job. And boy, does it ever. We watch Job lose everything. And I mean, when we think of everything, we worry about losing our health. We worry about losing our money. But I doubt you could, I doubt you could breathe if you lost your family. I doubt you could get out of bed for a month if you lost your kids, lost your grandkids. It was, he absolutely lost everything. <clears throat> we finally hear Job say, as we read there, naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord had gave, and the Lord had taken away. Look who he puts in charge. God gave it, and God took it away, not the devil. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, there is more going on in Job's life than just his suffering. So uh, we talked about how Job's life is based upon a pattern. In Job 1.1, it says this, and I'll go ahead and start here real quick. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect. Secondly, upright, feared God, and chewed up evil. <laughs> S-chewed evil means rejected evil, but I like chewed up better. Anyway, <clears throat> Um, and so you, you get these characteristics about Job that are not natural. He's actually patterned his life out after his concept of God. So we learn that God is absolutely perfect. And Job says, now he knows he's not ever going to be sinlessly perfect, but he wants his life right. He wants it to be lived right. And so Job is showing, a reflecting a characteristic of God that God is perfect. Secondly, God is upright, which means, you know, if somebody's sneaking around, they're ashamed or they're trying to do something wrong or deceptively. God has nothing to be deceiving about or or ashamed about. He walks upright, <clears throat> and neither does Job. Third, God is terrifying. If it says that Job feared God, do not retranslate it. Oh, God, res- uh, Job respected God. That is stupid. Because God doesn't want to just be respected. He wants you to realize He is God and expects us to be in fear of crossing him. Now, that's why I got saved, because now I'm in the family, and wow, 
if, if, if I never got saved, the wrath of God is on me and will be on me for how long? For eternity. And the best thing ever happened to me was somebody to tell me that I can escape the wrath of God. And I ran to Jesus Christ and found forgiveness. But I still live in fear of God knowing that when I just go and do my own thing, there are consequences. God doesn't go, oh, I'll be nice to Craig today. No, God doesn't change. He is full of grace. He is full of mercy. But we better fear him. And throughout your Bible, the wise fear God. So we learned last time that God is terrifying. But let's talk about maybe just a few more things here. As we pick up and go up and look at uh, verse 1, it says, eschewed evil. Now, that's just an old English word. It simply means he rejected evil. Um, let's see if I can find my, here we are. So it means this, that God is holy. Um, he rejects all form of evil. Is there anything that God tolerates that is wrong in his, in his realm? I mean, he is, I mean, the thing that you sense when you know about God, I don't care if, if you, you, you have been to church in years, you know one characteristic of God and that is he's holy. The angels around there, they're not just crying out because, because of some job that they've got to do. They cry out holy because they're in the presence of absolute holiness. And they cry out, holy, holy. They just, there's this sense of holiness about God. And that is a characteristic you better remember. It means he's pure. He's without flaw. No darkness in it at all. Leviticus 19.2 says, Speak unto the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. And that's repeated in 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter says, Hey, be ye holy, for I am holy. But when Job says that he eschewed evil, he's copying God. He says, God, you don't, you don't tolerate any sin in your presence. I'm not going to tolerate it in mine either. I reject sin. Now, that doesn't mean that you, you, you know, again, back a thousand years ago, you had all these monks, and 800 years ago, oh, they just moved away from everybody, and they lived in a beehive hut. There were people over in Germany that, that got into a, 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 um, a competition. They thought that they would be closer to God if they lived up on a pole. So some guy got a pole about 20 feet up and he put a little platform on and he sat up there cross-legged for weeks on end. He called himself more holy because he wasn't being touched or influenced by the world under him. He forgot he had the world in him. Then one guy says, he's only 20 feet, I'm going 30 feet up. <laughs> then you get somebody else and then they decide, well, we can only have that. We'll go up to the Skellig Islands. We'll go out into uh, uh, an island off the coast of, of uh, Scotland where nobody can find us. And they kept trying to separate themselves from the world, and you can't do that. But you can hate evil. And you can say, I'm not going to tolerate that out of my mouth. I'm not going to tolerate that coming into my eyes. I'm not going to allow that in my home. You can do that, and you ought to do that. Job knew God is holy and he expected that of his followers. Another thing that we find about God is that God is the giver of everything that we have. Look in verse 2. There were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance, Job's substance, was 
7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all men in all of the East. And I want you to understand, um, God is the giver of everything we have. How did those children get born? Were they accidents? Is it only a natural thing, or does the Bible not say that God opens and closes the womb? James chapter 1, verse 17. Can anybody quote it? Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, no changing, and no shadow of turning. So, God is the giver of everything that we have, both good and bad. Go back down there in Job chapter 1 and verse 21. In the middle of there says, The Lord what? Gave and the Lord had taken away. So God gave Job his health. God gave Job his wife. God gave Job his children. God gave Job every minute of his day. God gave Job his successes and his honor. And I'm going to say this. If you got somebody you're watching and they seem to be succeeding and you're not, they seem to be able to afford a new car and you can't. They seem to be happily married and you're not. <laughs> they seem to have kids who obey and you don't. Everything you look around and you say, how come they get along and they do well? God made it that way. It's the grace of God that you have a family. It's the grace of God you have health so that you can work. You can't complain to the potter. You just do your best. So whatever you've got, and if tomorrow God raised you up and blessed you, Job will teach you the next day he can bring you back down. So when you decide everything I have is a gift from God, It'll change your view. So if somebody dies and leaves you an inheritance, don't get all excited. Because right behind the, the, the postman is the tax man. <laughs> and then I just read about somebody here in Ireland. They won, I don't know how many million, like six or seven years ago, and they're now getting a divorce. They just couldn't, uh, couldn't get along with all that money, and they couldn't. And I would say, if you got, if you came into a lot of money, it'd probably ruin you. So you better be careful about looking for all these incredible amounts of money and blessings when you couldn't handle them if you got them. So the, the, God is the giver of everything we have. Next thing you learn from the book of Job is that God can see the thoughts in the intents of our hearts. That's a scary thought. Look in verse 5. Job chapter 1 and verse 5. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them. He cleansed them with sacrifices. He rose up early in the morning, offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. He had ten kids. For Job said, it may be that my sons have done a grave sin. Is that what it says? No. It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. I read this. I thought it was really cute. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, remember that thought is speech. Before God. God hears our thoughts like we hear speech. That's scary. Now Job didn't know what his children were thinking. And he knew that they were second generation. They were living in the blessings of Job's blessings. And he worried about what was going on in their hearts and in their thoughts. And it caused them to worry because he knew God knew what was going on in their hearts. And so he, as a, as, as a priest under the Old Testament, a father priest, they didn't have the Levitical priest at that uh, time. And so he's offering sacrifices. 
He's interceding for them because he's worried. Go to Psalm 139. We're going to stop with this, this thought here. Psalm 139, verse 2. I will ask Tony on the back. Would you read Psalm 139, verse 2? Listen to these words. Okay, what is down-sitting and uprising? What does that mean? All right, so God pays attention to the little things. He knows when I'm up, I'm standing, and when I'm sitting down. He knows when I'm doing something nobody else would notice. But what's even more amazing is the last part. Tell me what that's saying. And he he understands. Well, I don't even know what I'm thinking. That's scary. That tells me I better be in control of what goes on inside of this head of mine. Amen? So, uh, I'll take another verse. Matthew 9, 4, John. Would you be able to handle it now, I, I know you're married to Ruth, and uh, uh, but you, just think for a second. Could you imagine if Ruth came up to you and says, why are you thinking that? You'd go, how, how do you know what I'm thinking? I mean, that would be hard to live with somebody who knew what you were thinking, wouldn't it? Be honest. It would be hard. And Jesus looked right at her and says, why are you thinking that evil thing? What a thought that Jesus knew the thoughts, and yet he still loved them. <laughs> so... Here is a revelation that God cares about what I think. He knows what I think. It's, it's, it's the understanding that, you know, how, it, where do all of my ultimate sins begin? In my heart, in my emotions, and how I dwell on them. And I think, you can't change your heart. You can't change that you're hurting or that you're angry, or that you're disappointed. But you can change how you look at that disappointment. You can change what you decide to do because you're disappointed. Does that make sense? So, uh, God sees the thoughts of our... Matthew 15, 19... And that's only the beginning of the list. <laughs> but Jesus looked at a bunch of guys and he said, Gentlemen, I have news for you. You think adultery is bad, but if a man looks on a, heart, on a woman and lusts on her in his heart, he has committed adultery already. Where? In his heart. And nobody else may see it, but God sees it. And God says that's just as bad as the act of adultery, isn't it? So it wakes us up to, i got to be careful about what I allow free roaming in my head. One more, Romans one twenty one, real scary here. Who's over there? Oh, Susan, Romans one twenty one. Please. Romans 
it's okay. It all began because in their heart, they decided they weren't going to say thank you to God for anything. And so their heart just became darker, and their imaginations became darker, and it led to our society being... Where where we go wrong is not in the laws that we make, it's in the thoughts that we think. And we learned that from the book of Job. Job was worried about what his kids were thinking. Now, he couldn't go over there and, 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 and just give out to them because he doesn't know what they're thinking. He's worried, however. He says, you know what? I'm afraid my children don't, don't know God like I do. They're not worshiping God. They're not content. I'm worried. And so he's interceding for them, praying for them, because he knows God knows their heart. It's really convicting. If, he, if, if, if we can just see that much of God, it'll change our way that we look at life. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we need you to open our eyes when we're going through a struggle that there are things for us to learn in the disaster, in the time of brokenness, that we wouldn't learn otherwise. And the most important thing for us to learn when we're defeated, when we're stuck, when we're losing, instead of winning, the most important thing is to learn how to view you and how to keep our eyes on you and how to just worship you and allow you to be God. Lord, forgive us where we just, we're we're so quick to quit, to give up, to complain. That's because our eyes are on ourselves. I pray we wouldn't do that anymore. I pray I wouldn't. I know that's a hard prayer to get answered, but would you help me, Lord? Keep my eyes on you and to know you like you really are. So dismiss us. Carry us home, God, with a, with a, with a concerned heart about who you really are and that you go with us. You know, you sealed yourself inside us. So Lord, I pray that our, 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 not only our homes, but our hearts would be places of worship because of tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going to have you sing. I'll go ahead and dismiss you. God bless you all. Have a good night. Amen.